and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm really excited about our show today. We are going to talk about what people fear most, which is change. And our guest, Monica Berg, is also going to challenge you and educate you and hopefully open up your mind to your relationship with fear, Rethinking Love. She's the author of two books. Her first book is Fear is Not an Option. And in her latest book, it's called Rethink Love. She uses years of her own personal experience teachings, and counseling to eradicate false belief systems around love and relationships. Monica, welcome to the Path Love and Podcast. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, and um, I love that we have uh, also another connection. I know that you're the Chief Communications Officer of the Kabbalah Center, and you're located down in New York City. And in episode 224, we had spoken to David, and he gave us um, some really great information about um, Kabbalah and how he works it into his life. And I'm sure that you're going to be talking to us a little bit about that as well, because I know it's, imp- it's an important part of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, I can understand, you know, and just reading a little bit about your background and history, you have had to go through a lot of change yourself and deal with a lot of fears. Um, And it seems like that you are really using your personal life lessons, challenges and experiences to share with the world and really help others that might be going through some similar challenges. So I'd love for you to give our guests um, some background about your history and what brought you you to where you are today? That's a big question. Um, I have always had the belief system, even as a small child, that I don't believe in suffering and I don't believe in um, punishment. So as you go through life, things happen to all of us. and, um, And early on, you know, of course, as most do when you're you go through changes, your body changes. I did um, struggle with uh, self-esteem. I had an eating disorder at one point, lacked self-love and self-care. But the idea and the thought of I don't believe in suffering made me look for a way through pain and a way through discomfort. And um, and I found the wisdom of Kabbalah at age 17, and I started studying. But even at that point, you know, you can study a spirituality and think that you're understanding it and you're living it. But until you're really challenged, um, there might be some holes in your belief systems. I think we learn things according to where we're at in the moment that we get that information. So for me, things really changed in terms of overcoming fear and eradicating fear and becoming a change junkie. When I had my second son, I have four children, and he was diagnosed with Down syndrome three hours after he was born. So that really shook my whole world. And again, even though I had been studying and I had been teaching, 
it started to bring up all of these things that I thought I'd overcome. And um, I realized that I had a lot of fear of the unknown. I mean, tremendous and a lot of uncertainty and worry and what will be and what will happen. And, you know, is there something wrong with me that I, I grew an unhealthy child inside my body? And when I started to catch all these thoughts, I thought, wait a second, you really need to rethink everything. Um, which got me on this whole kind of thing. Like my blog is called Rethink Life Today, and my books are all Rethink series. Um, Rethink Love is coming out, and I started to really rethink the things that I had thought I already knew, and I started to apply them and live them. And the two big things that really stop people from living the life they're meant to is their fear. It can paralyze people and stop you from really doing the things that you truly desire that really are your purpose. And the other is relationships and not just the relationships in a romantic sense, but also the relationship you have with yourself first and foremost, which then dictates all of the other relationships you have. And then I started to approach my life with this idea of radical immediate change. Hmm, I like that. Radical, immediate change. <laughs> All right. So how do you coach people through that? Because I'm sure that probably instills fear people immediately when they hear all of those words together. <laughs> I know, but I meant to inspire people. I think the first thing we need to be honest about when we talk about change is that it's uncomfortable and people usually run from change. I think one of the big reasons that is, is because our first experience with change usually is not something that we want. It's something that's forced upon us. For instance, in my life with Josh, right? I mean, I was forced as in that situation. I mean, three hours after and I have my hormones are aging. I had a C-section. I, I didn't even know what had hit me. And I knew something big was changing and I needed to choose how I was going to respond. Um, I think children often are, are thrust in that situation if their parents get divorced and now they're living between two homes or um, if there's a financial loss in the family. It's like these sudden changes that are so hard and, and kind of take us off guard. So there's two ways to approach life. You know, you can let things happen to you and either choose to be a victim or grow from it, or you can actively seek experiences and pique your curiosity and explore that because the only truth in life is that everything is changing all the time. It's the one constant. So you can pretend that things aren't changing, but right now as we're speaking even, our bodies are changing. You know, you might be getting one gray hair as we're talking I and mean, things are forever changing. So if you understand that, then you can start to look at your life and say, okay, knowing that this is a truth, how can I make my life work for me instead of against me? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, and what I see with a lot of the clients that I work with too, and personally myself, there's such an inner knowing when we need to face change or that we're feeling a change coming on or we are looking to maybe be more connected with our purpose and we know that the steps that we would have to take can, like you said, can be a little uncomfortable, can really shift your whole entire world. And sometimes, you know, people can get stuck in that middle ground. It's like they have a knowing, they know what needs to happen. But, you know, what, what do you say when fear just becomes so disabling that uh, people just get stuck in the loop about thinking about making the change, know it on a very intellectual level, but just really, really struggle in taking the first very small step? Well, I think there's two things. When it comes to change, if you look at what what is the alternative, if you stay in this mediocre space, and I like to call it the almost, it's like, it's not bad, it's okay, it's good enough, you're never going to feel fulfilled, satisfied, or really happy in the long term. So 
you have a choice to make. I mean, you can stay where you're at and know that you're going to live in an uncomfortable way your whole life. I mean, I know it sounds harsh, but that's the reality. Or you can say, okay, this change is scary because the one fear that everybody has that I discovered in writing this book, I mean, we assign it to many things and I'm sure there are, you know, people have, and I define, which I can break down for you. I identify three different types of fear, but they can assign it to, you know, I'm afraid of, um, rejection or I'm afraid of, you know, relationships or even, you know, spiders. But the real fear that everybody has is the fear of the unknown. Because as human beings, we crave certainty. We want to know what's going to happen. We want to feel safe. We want to feel secure. And then by the way, that's the opposite of change. I mean, people go through life accumulating so many things. You get the best job to make the most money so you can have a home, so you can feel secure. And then you have that and you work your hardest to hold on to that. I don't want anything to change, but that's another trick, right? And it doesn't mean that you're happy. It means you're safe. So we have this need to feel safe and secure and certain, but the only real knowing is that nothing is certain. I mean, when you woke up this morning, did you really know how the day was going to unfold? Did we really know? Like we had this, we had our podcast scheduled for today, right? In the back of my head, I'm like, it might happen. It might not. I mean, that's just how I approach everything in life because, you know, I want to be open. I want to be that flexible. That's what a change junkie is. You have your plan, you have your goals, you work hard at them. But then if it changes, then you go with that because there's a higher knowing than my own. And I want to be tapped into that. Yeah, I like that. That simplicity of it might happen and it might not. You, you totally <laughs> you totally hit the nail on the head. And if people can really embody that, that I think really helps with that flexibility that you're talking about. Um, but that's a choice, right? I mean, that's a right. choice you have to make. And it's, the, and it's the most freedom. I mean, the opposite of fear, the opposite of worry, the opposite of being stuck is a freedom that we all crave. I mean, that's, that's what living a life of change is. Now, you mentioned that there were two or three different types of fear. One is the the fear of the unknown. What are the other two that you'd like to make reference to? So actually, the fear of the unknown is the ultimate, like that is, that's fear, basically. But there's three types. And so the first is healthy, and then there's real, and then there's illogical. So healthy fear is exactly like it sounds. It's um, really a gift that's given to each person. It's that response that we have when we're in danger. And it's set up for our survival and our protection. So for instance, let's say you're standing on a high ledge and you're on a hike and you feel like you're, you know, you get that feeling in your stomach, like, oh wait, I should back up. I'm a little bit too close. This is dangerous. That's a healthy fear. And you want that. Or let's say you're about to go into an elevator and there's somebody inside already and you get a really uneasy feeling and something's telling you don't go in to the space with closed doors with this person. Usually, though, we turn that intuition off and we want to seem polite, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, or we don't take it seriously. But that intuition, that feeling, that is there for our protection. And I tell a story in my book just to really drive this home. It's a story of Carol Durange. And she was um, she lived in Murray, Utah. And one day she was approached by a police officer. And uh, she was at a park and he came over to her and he said, you know, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect. He's at the police station. Will you come back with me? Because he has some items on him. We want to identify if they're yours. And she had that feeling in the pit of her stomach that, wait a second, this doesn't feel really right to me. So she said, you know, she asked him, can I see your badge? So he pulls it out and she accepts that. She decides, okay, that that looks legitimate. She gets in the car with him and they start driving on the highway. And she realizes that they're driving in the opposite direction. 
from where the station is. And she says, wait, you know, what are you doing? The police station's the other way. So with his hand that's not driving, he starts to handcuff her or try to handcuff her. And because she was already alert and alarmed, she had her hand on the door and she was able to jump out of the car. He stops the car. They have a fight on the side of the road and she's able to escape. So a few days later, she's reading the paper, and she sees that on that same day, a woman was um, taken, and she was raped, and she was murdered. And she looks at the picture, and it was that police officer who she now understood was serial killer Ted Bundy. So we all find ourselves in situations where healthy fear is giving us some kind of warning. You want to acknowledge and heed those warnings. So then there's real fear. Real fear is exactly like it sounds. It's based in reality. It's fear of death, of um, getting sick. And I find that a lot of people are plagued by those fears. I I hear a lot with my students, you know, um, I'm worried that my parents will die. And they ruminate about this negative thought over and over again. Or they're worried about getting sick, but then they have a really unhealthy lifestyle. They're not doing anything proactive to actually, you know, take the best care of their body. So with this fear also, it can be transformed into growth. So if you fear your parents dying, then make sure that you completely, consistently, constantly tell them that you love them, that you appreciate them. Be kind to them. Make sure that the time you spend together is fun and you're expressing love and communication versus, you know, fearing the day of, you know, what may or may not happen. We don't know how things play out. And the same thing, if you are worried about getting sick, then, you know, work out every day or make sure you have a diet that works for your body type, you know, all of these things. So those are, those are two fears that, because my message is eradicate fear, but these are two fears that can be helpful if you just transform it to the positive. The last one is illogical, and I find that this is where most people spend like 95% of their fear, their space, their mind in this kind of fear. And that is fear of um, – and by the way, this fear uh, is – It can manifest in big and small ways, and it keeps us frantic and panicked and worried. So it's fear of heights, of cockroaches, of claustrophobia, of public speaking, um, flying, you name it. And we spend so much time here. And also, it stops us from, let's say, you're afraid of flying, so you're you're really dreaming about taking this vacation in the Maldives, but you're not going to go because of the flight. Or that you really have a desire to speak and share a message and help people, but you're afraid of speaking in public. These are the things that stop us from living our best life and stop us from manifesting our biggest desires and dreams. And this is the fear that can be completely eradicated. Now, I bet some people who have a fear of flying would probably say that is that's a real fear because planes can crash, <laughs> you know. I yes, mean, but people can die in cars much more than they do in planes. We know that right, right. statistically. It feels uneasy, but in my book, I give a lot of different tools and tips of how to overcome these fears. But it's like anything, you know. I can tell you anything, and I can give you every situation. I can give you actually the formula to change this. But the thing that you have to do yourself, and the work that you have to do, is to be able to shift your consciousness and to expand it. And that's the hard work that takes, it's just like going to the gym that takes repetition, that takes practice, but it's totally doable. And I'll give you an example in my own life. I used to be afraid of elevators actually. And I had this fear since I was probably three or four, like since I could remember. And I remember 
I'd be in an elevator with my mom and the door would close and I'd start to have a panic attack. And, you know, I made the joke. I was like, did you lock me in a small box when I was a child? Like, where is this coming from even? And I think sometimes we try to figure out, you know, well, why do I have this fear and where did it come from? And I really wasn't interested in that either. So I'm never going to find the answer to that. But I moved to New York six over six years ago and it's before I wrote my book. And I decided that, and by the way, this fear like really plagued me. I mean, I used to, if I, I was a marathon runner, if I would go on a very long run, um, and I didn't have enough water, like I was very thirsty and parched and I needed to take an elevator, I would climb 20 flights of stairs after a 15 mile run. Like I, I would do that. I have done that. I have climbed 25 flights in high heels, anything to avoid the elevator. If I didn't have my phone or if I didn't have water, like any way that I felt like I'd be stuck. But then when I moved to New York and also I had done this work of changing my consciousness and really transformative work, I decided that I'm not taking this fear along with me because you really can't live in the city and avoid elevators like that. And I just, I said, I don't, this is just, this is not real. It's just something that I'm not, I'm not taking it. I'm not participating in it. It's just, it's done and it's done. I mean, it's really done. I have no problem with elevators at all now. So the other thing that I'm hearing closely related to when you're talking and giving examples about fear is I also just think that it also can come down to a choice, like what people really want to choose. Do you think choice and fear are directly correlated with each other? Absolutely. I mean, everything starts with a thought, right? Mm -hmm. And based on your thoughts are how you decide what to do or your actions follow that. And then that goes back to consciousness. So you can have all kinds of reasons that feel real. I mean, that's the other thing too. And I talk about our emotions a lot. People take their emotions so very seriously. I like for people to actually observe their emotions, right? Take that perspective. You want to acknowledge them, but they're not who you are. They're how you feel. And it's an indication of something you need to pay attention to. And from that space, then you can change. See, it's just information about you. I think what happens is that people get very stuck because they take the wrong things too seriously, and then they think they're powerless, and then they stay there. And that's really a painful way to live. Yeah, I I would agree with that. And I think when people begin to separate from the identity of the emotional self and can take like that backseat and be more of the observer and realize that they really are in control, they are in control of their choices, they're in control of their emotions because they're not their emotions, they are consciousness, that that's where that freedom that you talk about begins to open up. And they have options, right? I mean, I give the example, like if you're watching a a thriller, right? I like thrillers. I like scary movies. And you feel excited and you're like watching it and you're having these emotions, but they're not yours. You're not in the movie. It's not your life, but you're experiencing it. You're still observing. And you want to kind of apply that to your own story, your own movie. Yeah. Do you want to share with our audience some of the, the work that you did that really helped to change your consciousness or anything that, you know, I don't know if you want to talk about Kabbalah or some of the, just the interventions that really helped you to shift your thinking, shift your consciousness and move you into a life that was, I don't know if it's safe to say you're free of fear or at least the unhealthy fear, um, the irrational fears, but, uh, what would you recommend for people who are just starting out on this journey and want to get to where you are, where should they turn? So it's an accumulation of things. I think that in order to expand your mind and your consciousness and your understanding, you need to feed it. And Kabbalah has been um, an invaluable learning and teaching and tool for me. And again, I found it early in my life, which I feel very fortunate for. Um, and 
for those that didn't catch your episode with David, Kabbalah is an ancient wisdom that explains the complexities of the material and the non-material worlds. And um, it's been around for thousands of years. And the sages have taught that every human being is born with a potential for greatness. And Kabbalah is a remarkably effective means for activating that potential. So if you understand that each person can be great and you just need to find a way to activate that, then already now you might be looking about how your life could be different or how you could approach it differently. So I would say you need to start with reading things like this, studying a spiritual, some kind of spirituality, because if not, the work is too hard. It's too hard to maintain this kind of elevated thinking in the day-to-day world, the ins and outs, you know, the world we're living in, it's a different kind of um, climate and there's so much external pressure. So that's the first thing. And then I think from that space, um, again, people don't give themselves enough credit for how powerful they are. We are so incredibly powerful. And, and your mind is an obedient servant. If you decide something, your subconscious is already working to make that happen. So knowing that you can build that muscle, you can strengthen it. So I would get really clear about what is it you desire and what is it you don't desire. For me, the big thing was when I had Josh, I remember thinking, okay, I found out about his limitations on the day he was born, right? Most people live life the other way around. You have a perfect child, you know, you think they're perfect. And then later in life, you find out like, well, this, that one was really flawed. Or, you know, I've come to realize the people that I thought were normal actually have real issues later in life. So I realized that, you know, I had a lifetime to discover all of his gifts and who he could be and subsequently who I could become. So I looked at it there's a way to, when you have challenge that comes up in your life, you can either have post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic growth. I chose to grow from that experience and I choose to grow from every experience that comes into my life. So it has to be a decision first that you want to live that kind of life because that is, again, the most freeing thing that you can do. And then from there, you know, everything starts at, it's like the first, that's the first domino and then it just goes from there. Yeah. Um, I also wanted to talk to you a little bit, and you touched upon it in the beginning of our conversation here today, about belief systems. Um, You know, and when you found out your son had Down syndrome, it just kind of like shook your world. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times I see that happening in my personal life, too, where, you know, I'm immersed in a lot of this consciousness um, stuff, the studies, afterlife, near death, spirituality, you know, you name it. And sometimes there's concepts that I really, really like, and I want to believe them to be true. But then sometimes life happens, and what you think you believe, and what you feel like you've learned to be the truth can get rocked in those moments. And then it leads you to kind of having to research again and redefine and stay open like you're talking about. One of my um, teachers also says to be careful of belief systems because believing something can be more of a trap. And he really talks about what you were also mentioning earlier about trying to be flexible and open um, and being open-minded about things, skeptical about things, but to really be cautious in what the belief systems are. So what what are your thoughts on something, on these beliefs that we really hang on to? Like it, what if we hang on to the belief that there is an afterlife or that we believe in soul contracts and this is why these things happen to us. What are your thoughts about holding on to belief systems or really um, maybe being extremely connected to a specific belief? Well, I really like this question a lot, actually, um, because I think that 
I think we all form and forge our belief systems early in life. Usually it's from our first um, experiences, both good ones and traumatic ones. And also we tend to adopt the belief systems of our parents because they're raising us and they're impressing a lot of information upon us, but also how they react to situations. They're a model for us. I think that that's also dangerous because there's a lot of false belief systems that are created and it gets us into trouble later in life. And then we need to break those down and identify what they are. But how do you do that if you don't really know who you are, if you didn't take the time to learn to love yourself and cultivate a friendship with yourself? And I say this because that is my life. That is exactly how I grew up. And then when I had anorexia and I was starving myself to death, I had to stop and say, okay, there are things that I think and believe about myself that are so bad that I don't want to be here anymore. So I need to find out what those are. And I really need to practice self-love and self-care because I really wanted to just be loved. And I knew that I would never be able to attract that unless I did that for myself. So I think the first thing is identify belief systems are important, but I think that most people start out with the wrong ones or ones that don't work for them. And you need to identify those and kind of start over again as an adult. Because again, we learn things differently from the lens of self as a child versus when you're older. I have watched home videos now from my in my adulthood. And I look at them, I'm like, wow, I remember that Mother's Day. And I thought that this is what happened. I didn't get enough attention from my mom, whatever it was. And then I watched this video and I saw my mom's pain and the experience she was going through that day. Right. So I think that that's a really good thing to explore and um, and start anew. And then when you start to create, like I, I write about in my book, Rethink Love, about writing a credo. And there's this great book called, um, I think it's In This I Believe, and they give an exercise about how to write a credo. And um, and I wrote my credo after I had Josh. And it's funny because I didn't think that I was a change junkie. I never, I didn't even think about the concept then. But my credo, and I wrote this 10 years ago, was that in change, there's great power. And because I chose that I wasn't going to be a victim by that circumstance and I was going to find the power and the beauty in it. And that became, and it's more than a mantra, it's a belief, right? It's a belief system. So that one works for me. And then from there, I've created a lot of other belief systems, um, like consciousness is everything, or that I can rely on myself to make good choices. But these are based on experiences that I've lived in my adulthood. Other times, by the way, you know, when I, for instance, um, I was a vegetarian for a really long time. And I asked myself, you know, do you still want to do that? Is this still working for you? I allow myself to be able to change my mind. And I think that that's really important. I think sometimes people feel like because they decided something, they need to stay with that. Or because they made a decision, you can't change your mind. And I don't agree with that at all. Hmm, Yeah. Well, I love your approach to change. I love the flexibility of it. Um, I think our listeners are definitely going to want to pick up your book. Can you let them know where they can uh, find your book? And are you going on any tours or do you have any upcoming events um, that's going on? So uh, my first book, Fear is Not an Option, is available on Amazon, and Rethink Love is coming out on Valentine's Day. It will also be available on Amazon and other places, which I don't know of yet. Um, My blog is RethinkLife.today, and you can follow me on Instagram at MonicaBerg74. And um, yeah, I'm going to be going on a tour in February, and I'll post those on my website. 
Wonderful. Well, it's great. I'm glad that we're going to be getting our, you know, this show out earlier before February so people can uh, read your first book and then be ready to read the second one. Perfect. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe they can put it on their Christmas list or, or maybe their Valentine's Day list. So, well, wonderful. Thank you so much for this inspiring conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think you're doing great work in the world. I, I love your, your energy behind it, the confidence. You know, you can just hear it in your voice when you're talking about it you don't really get a sense that you have much fear and I think that that is something really beautiful that our listeners uh, can lean into and I'm sure that that's going to come across very strongly in your books as well so thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast thank you so much I really enjoyed talking to you as well Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four-day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out-of-body experiences and life-changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends that was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon. Become a Patreon today and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name all that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 